Hi, I'm Dirk Friel, co-founder of Training Peaks, and you're listening to the Training Peaks Coachcast. I'll be sitting down with expert endurance coaches and amazing athletes, each with special stories to tell. At its heart, Training Peaks is about helping you create the best journey possible towards your endurance goals. We hope these stories inspire you to get out there, train with purpose, and never be afraid to sign up for that next big challenge. Gwen Jorgensen, Bobby McGee, thank you so much for joining me today uh, in this kind of, uh, I don't know, winter uh, we're seeing here in Colorado is kind of light, been, been so far good for running, but thank you so much for joining me today. Of course. It's very welcome. Looking yeah, forward to Yeah, and um, I have to say congratulations being named to the USA Triathlon Hall of Fame, Gwen. Um, I, hopefully there's a big gala for you come August, I believe, back in Milwaukee, back in what, Milwaukee for you? Is that where that's going to be held? I think it's in Milwaukee. You know, um, yes, my invite was lost in the mail. We've been traveling. We don't have a permanent address. So um, yeah, um, but I'm very excited about that. And Milwaukee is my hometown. So it'd be fun to go back. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, here's a fun little fact you may not know about. I think when you were actually had a day job, you were working in Milwaukee, kind of on the lakefront and our CEO, Andy Stevens was working in the very same building as you at that, at that time. (laughs) That's crazy. I didn't know that. That's super cool. Yeah, definitely. So, uh, and Bobby, tell us what you're doing these days. Uh, what's keeping you busy now? Yeah, now I'm back back to my my own business, Bobby McGee Endurance Sport. I'm working with uh, ten athletes at the moment, and uh, as you know, my um, back with a with a premier athlete and being you know being Gwen. So uh, even though it's been a rocky road, it's been really really fun for me, you know. So enjoying that, and then uh, just working on still do a lot of support work. Uh, of triathletes with with you know run form and mental skills um it's it's almost it's almost the same thing on my own as what i was doing the previous seven years you know so yeah nothing has really changed yeah and you were working a bunch as a what director of development at usa triathlon in the past yeah i was a performance advisor and then i was a development coordinator and then i was a talent identification coordinator yeah nice awesome so now, Gwen, you've made the move to Colorado from Oregon, um, kind of switched things up a whole lot. Why, why, why come to Colorado? Um, uh, Patrick and I actually checked out quite a few different places of where we wanted to live, but we definitely wanted to be somewhere that was outdoor, um, had a lot of good running trails, good biking. And then our other requirement that kind of drew us the most to, to Boulder was access to family. I really want to live in Wisconsin, um, where my family's at, but that's just not something that benefits our lifestyle right now and not something that we want to do yet. So I needed that access to family. And so with the Denver airport, it was super easy. It was actually, Bobby actually said not to move here. Cause I was, I knew I wanted to work with him, but he was like, you should check out other places. And I had said all along to Patrick, we don't want to make this move based on my running career. I want this to be based on our lifestyles. Um, and what, uh, where we want to raise our child, Stanley. So 
we looked at a lot of different places and I always said I never wanted to live in Boulder. And then we came to Boulder for like the 10th time and we checked out parts that weren't just downtown and, and I really liked it. And so we moved. Yeah, well, you got here right before our, our disastrous event of the Marshall fires, unfortunately. So hopefully you weren't near those. Neither of you, hopefully. Yeah, um, Bobby had to evacuate, but we, I, I, I was, I'm safe in my rental, um, but it's just sad. We know so many people that lost their homes. Everyone does here. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and then the latest news from you is contracting COVID and the whole family sounds like got it. Um, that's, I mean, I haven't been through it. Bobby, did you, have you happened to? No, nope. no, I've affected? somehow, somehow dodged it so far. Yeah. Knock on wood so far. So yeah, I, I kind of want to dig into that. I, I'd, I'd love to know like what symptoms, you know, how did that come, come along and are you still experiencing symptoms on what, how many days into this are you currently? Um, more than 10 days ago, Stanley uh, had a fever and a cough. And um, I was like, this is classic COVID. We all got tested. And he, at the time, was positive And Pat and I were negative. And looking back, we probably should have started wearing a mask in the house because Pat and I were safe at that point. Um, but we didn't. And a couple days later, which was about, it was Monday, so a week ago, I started to get symptoms and it was really bad day two. And it just seems like every day is kind of a new symptom for me. And I'm not better yet, uh, but I'm definitely getting better. So when you say you're not doing very well, I mean, you are just laid up in bed sick or on a scale of, I mean, have you been to the ER, you know, no, no, no. How, you I mean, I'm not, how bad the symptoms are? Our whole family has been fine in that regard. It's just, you know, it's a bad flu. And, you know, I think part of it as well as maybe we haven't been sick. None of us have been sick in two years. So it's a little bit of um, maybe a shock to the system as well. But, you know, for me, I put it in perspective as like, I went without running for like four or five days and I didn't even think about running. And that's something that is so unusual. Like usually if I'm sick, I'm like begging to go outside, begging to go for a run. And that wasn't where my head was. Like I couldn't even fathom that. So, um, you know, totally fine. Didn't need to go to the ER, nothing serious, no serious complications, just extreme fatigue. Um, you know, sleeping 12 hours a night, plus taking two hour naps in the middle of the day. And, um, you know, it hurts to kind of get up and walk to the bathroom, but that stuff has kind of subsided now. And now I just have mild symptoms, headache, um, runny nose, stomach ache. But, um, yeah, you know, it's interesting. We've, Bobby actually just emailed me a COVID protocol like minutes before this interview, but we, I had had a different COVID protocol and I had been given it from a doctor who, you know, told me this is, this study was done back in 2020, which is so long ago now. And, yeah. you know, it was for people who had severe COVID symptoms and, you know, just a lot of, there isn't a lot of research out there on what to do. And the, the original one we were given, the protocol said, you know, 10 days, no running, um, and this protocol that Bobby sent, you know, kind of said, well, you know, exercise is good. It boosts the immunity. It gets blood flowing. So we're kind of at this state where we don't really know what to do. I did go for one run, go to the walk run. I did 10 minutes walking, five minute run four times. And my heart rate was through the roof. It was wow. 
in 170s for the five minute runs. And so, you know, that's a, and I was going like 830 pace. It's very unusual. So um, yeah, we're still kind of learning through this process. And I don't think Bobby and I know what the plan is yet. No, just because I've got another Olympic athlete in South Africa who got COVID, another Olympic athlete who's uh, a Brazilian athlete, and she was fine and fine and fine. And then she came to to Scottsdale, and now she got COVID. And the same thing seems to happen with all of them is this massively elevated heart rate. And a lot of the research shows you know, but the funny thing is, is the resting heart rate seems okay, right? As soon as you go out there, it just goes through the roof. And, you know, to put it in perspective with Gwen, that's high tempo for her. That's like half marathon heart rate when she's jogging at eight and a half minute pace, you know. So that really puts it in perspective for people that so easily can, you know, can you do damage to your heart if you go out and you be foolish, you know, with this kind of condition. So with your other two athletes, have they now come out of having symptoms and they're back they, to training or? Yeah, they, they both back to training, but yeah. not, not quality training yet. So okay. uh, the one was a while ago. She's back to pretty much quality training. Uh, the, the Brazilian uh, athlete, she's, um, she's swimming reasonably hard in the pool and reasonably hard on the bike, but the running still spikes it real quick. So we're taking it real easy with the running. So it, it sounds like this, the symptoms kind of ramped up for you, Gwen. I mean, a new symptom every day and almost kind of like, were you, did you have hope at the beginning? Like, oh, this is going to be, I've heard it's no big deal. I'll be back to it. I'm, you know, your inner self, are you just telling yourself, this is gonna, I'm going to be back to it next week. I mean, what was that yeah. like in the early days? Um, the early days, um, honestly, I was just worried about how I was going to take care of Stanley. Um, if you're a parent and you have a child and you're sick and your child's sick, it's just, it's kind of all that consumes you. And so I was just worried about like, how can I take care of Stanley? Um, and it was just kind of getting through the days and I wasn't even thinking forward. It probably wasn't until about like day five when Stanley started to feel better. And I was able to just have more confidence that we were doing okay. Um, that I started to think about, man, what, what's happening. And it's just, you know, you know, you said earlier, you know, talk about like, what were the plans? Like I wanted to do a spring marathon. There's no way that that's possible. Um, so, you know, that's disappointing, but it's also just, I try to, the older I get, I think the easier it is to kind of handle these things. You can see more long picture, you've been through more ups and downs and you kind of know, like if you push through, it's just going to cause long-term problems. And so for me, when I get in these situations, I try not to look at any calendars. I try not to look at any races and I try to just focus on like, what do I need to do today? And that's what I've learned for me personally that can help me get through it the most. Yeah. Bobby, yeah how do you, have you helped the athletes? You know, I think COVID, you know, they, they speak so much about, you know, kids internationally struggling with you know, with mental issues, uh, even to the point of mental illness, being isolated from friends, sort of desocializing, all this sort of things. But I think a plus of COVID is that we become quite accepting, you know. And I, I remember, you know, when, when Gwen was training for triathlon, she'd get sick and we'd basically determine, okay, would it be a good idea for her to race? And if it was okay for her to race, but she was feeling crummy, we'd go ahead and do it. 
because you know we didn't know if it was going to be she was going to be feeling crummy in 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 Rio you know and so we learned a lot from that but now I find I'm freaking out less you know if if Gwen had the world championships in Oregon and she made the US marathon team I still think we would have been reasonably chill because you know what can you do I mean it's the whole world and and they're far more important things and we will do the very best we can and we'll go to the nth degree to shorten this process up but at the same time I think there's a broader view with athletes there's there's more acceptance because there's so many of them I mean you know if you think Ben Canute and and uh, and Flora and Gwen and um, you know, so many of these athletes have had it. And during the season, they were held up. Some kids were stuck in North Africa. Some kids were stuck in, in Europe. Other kids were stuck in Australasia and they couldn't move or stuck in Asia. And so I think we've, we've, uh, it's been good for our sort of see ourselves as just part of humanity, you know, as opposed to, you know, being singled out by illness because we push our immune system so hard. Yeah. Well, what were the goals, you know, like coming into this season, what were you focused on and, and how do we move on from there? So let's start with that. What were you focused on uh, accomplishing this season? Well, right at the very, sorry, you go, Gwen. You go. <laughs> now, right at the very beginning, when Gwen and I started, we were hoping to post a, a world championship marathon qualifier. And we were doing well with that. But then the the goalposts were changed for us because suddenly the selection process went retroactive and that window had already passed for us. And it was a very unfortunate, you know, frustrating period of time. And, and then we'd go, okay, well, we're now we're just going to try and get to a point where we can run a fast marathon. And in that lead up, the, the, the goal was to run an opening half marathon, put down a good mark, and then work towards a really fast half marathon in the build-up to that marathon. That was, that was basically, we didn't make it super long-term. So yeah. when was this peak marathon going to be? Well, that was another issue. We were, I really wanted to do one in March and they're just, with COVID, there wasn't many March options. Um, you know, going abroad, was difficult. It was hard to get into to races because of COVID. And then you were uncertain. Um, so we didn't even, you know, I really wanted to do a March marathon and, and Bobby and I talked about this at length and he wanted to wait a little bit longer for a, a marathon that was more uh, conducive. Just, you know, we couldn't really find a March marathon that wasn't, you know, it was either really hot or, you know, just uncontrollables that we couldn't um, control. So he wanted something that was more reliable or had a better chance of me running a fast marathon. So we hadn't even picked one. We were still kind of on the search. We were getting international uh, race coordinators saying to us, we'll let you know X. And X was like four or five weeks before go time. And in marathon running, you can't hear four or five weeks before the race, whether you're going to make it or not. The other thing, too, was with COVID and everything else and, and Gwen's foray into track work, we had an aging out marathon PR that wasn't very strong anyway, you know, so you you didn't have a lot of, of uh, negotiation power on your side, you know. So right. we, we had to use 
you know, the fact that Gwen's a good racer, the fact that Gwen's a, an Olympic gold medalist, the fact that, you know, we had, we, we had to rely on those things. And truly, locally, there just wasn't anything that suited that. You know, we were even looking at running sort of a time trial marathon that would be create an effective time. But Gwen and I soon realized that, you know, the level of motivation and, and, and the need for pacing and all that sort of stuff was going to be, you know, a, a too high a hill to climb, you know, and it was just, you know, you'd, you'd waste all this time on a, on a 20% chance you were going to get what you wanted. Right. You know, with all your recent track training and racing and peaks, are you, were you feeling that that had a benefit to your road racing marathon fitness? Did was that like an overall strategy for you too? Like let's gain this speed work and bring it. It's almost like bring it from the Olympic level triathlon to the long course triathlon, you know, and you see that often and you have that speed behind you. Were you seeing that benefit from the track? I think, you know, that's a lot of people, you know, before a lot of people, before you become a marathon year, you have to become a good 10 K and, you know, there's all these things and, you know, obviously speed will help, but I'm going to let Bobby answer that more because he's the, the coaching expert. <laughs> yeah. I think it's quite common. It's been that way for many years that, you know, that a prerequisite for a good marathon is a good 10 K. Um, and I think the frustrating part was, is that, the whole process started with the marathon for Gwen, you know, when, when after she'd left triathlon. And then right. due to the timing of the Olympic trials and stuff like that and, and the injury to the heel, you know, that fell by the wayside. And the logical next option was to give the 10K a go and then just miss timings, occurrences, um, issues with altitude, return rates, all that sort of thing. Suddenly now the 10K... Although Gwen had qualified, you know, for the for the, for the ten thousand meters, she hadn't qualified in that new IAAF ruling that you also had to run an Olympic qualifier, which was considerably faster than a U.S. qualifier. And then, because the ten thousand was so strong in the country, we had the situation where the ten thousand was going to be two races, and then we ended up with the trials being record high temperatures, and the ten thousand meters for anybody to qualify in was not going to happen. And then Gwen ran that awesome 5K and got the Olympic standard for the 5K, which was basically her third event at that point in time. And that was actually a very successful campaign for Gwen with, with Coach Jerry, where she, you know, she made it into the final at the 5,000 meter trials in her C event, which was, was fantastic. <laughs> Uh, but I still sit here, and Gwen and I talk about this sometimes, I still sit here and I know Gwen is is better than 31.30 for 10K. She just hasn't run it. And I think that Gwen definitely has the ability to go sub 15 for 5K, and we haven't had that opportunity either. But the marathon makes sense in terms of Gwen's physiology as well and her ability to sit on these very high-level uh, high paces for long periods of time. Yeah. So let's go into again, pre COVID your typical training that you were doing, you didn't have a race date out there. So how do you deal with that? Both as a coach and athlete, um, no clear a race date. That's been, that's so unusual in your couple decades of training as a, as an elite athlete. 
Um, so how, how do you manage that fitness? Are you trying to keep it at 80% and then w- once we know a date, we can then nail that peak? Um, or, or are you backing off a bunch of systems and working on one weakness and let the others kind of deteriorate until you know some goal? I mean, how, how do you play that out? I mean, Bobby, I can let you answer more, but, you know, I think in my head, it was, I was still hopeful that, you know, one of those March marathons, I'd get a notice four weeks out and we do that. And so that's kind of in my head, what I was kind of training for. I was still hopeful that something would come through in March, but Bobby, um, you can kind of talk about how I was training during that time. Yeah. So we, we actually, you know, if you think about the marathon, it, it, elite athletes that are coming to the marathon for the first time can often fall prey to this all the eggs in one basket with the marathon because the marathon requires such a singular focus. But the truth be told, we had two, you know, half marathons spread apart, which were basically a half marathons for us. And then, you know, reasonably late stage, we picked the, the 5K Nationals where Gwen went really well and she went right according to expectation in terms of where her training was at that time. But we were always looking at the American half marathon champs as, you know, as that, you know, a race, but then we also had, and as it turned out, it was a complete barnstormer. We were worried that, you know, the, the, the half marathon in, in, uh, in, in with the Houston was going to be, was going to be too hot and it turned out to be the perfect day and we got american record in the half and we got american record in the marathon it was just crazy but anyway so that the focus was always going to be that and you always have a half marathon you know five four weeks before a marathon anyway and we didn't really have to think marathon other than the, these big workouts would have happened two weeks before this half marathon and, and for the three or four weeks after this half marathon anyway. So uh, we weren't lost. You know, we were more dealing with circumstances. We, All right. So you we had a window aimless. you were playing with. Yeah. Yeah. We weren't so trying to get were, into it. We were focused a, on this window, it sounds like. Yes, exactly. And we, you know, so the, the workouts were always going to be developmental. We were always you know, working, we'd gone through an entire phase of threshold work and she was going really, really well. And, you know, then, and then we had that mishap where the, with the build race, the half marathon was freakishly hot and we had done no preparation for a hot race in Boulder at that period of time, you know, didn't even occur to us that that would be so hot. And a lot of the athletes said, wow, that was, that was amazing. It was so uncharacteristically hot. Yeah. Um, have you found groups to train with or do you leverage groups within your, your training? Maybe how often, you know, how many days a week were you leveraging a a group run? I would run, um, I had Evan Schwartz who would run with me on my hard workouts, which was just amazing to have him. Um, he was kind of a, a perfect pacer for me. And then on my easy days, I, you know, I really found just people in town to run with. I felt like there were so many people here that I knew or had connections with, made some new friends. And, you know, I'm really, you know, I've really, Patrick's definitely more social than me. And he was kind of making fun of me the other day because he's like, you have more friends than me because I did. I seemed to instantly come here and have people to run with on my easy days, which was pretty awesome. Nice. 
Gwen would literally meet athletes, you know, international athletes or national class athletes out on a run and they'd join up and then they'd make an arrangement for the weekend. So Gwen just does this and she'll have five training partners in a heartbeat for a, for a, a long run on a weekend. <laughs> yeah. I love that around here. I went for a ride the other day and it was like Emma Coburn and her training group and go up on Magnolia road and see all the folks running up there. <laughs> so many people. <laughs> yeah. And then, yeah. So the dirt talk, talk to me about surfaces, you know, do you specifically, you know, target days where I'm, you know, is there benefit to running on the dirt? Do you focus on that? Do you run all the ways on the road? You know, how, how does that play into your strategy of training? I love asphalt, but Bobby uh, pushes me to run on dirt more. So, uh, Bobby, you can kind of explain that. <laughs> you, you know, at my stage in my coaching career, I'm really working hard at listening to the athletes more and more, right? I'm not, I've never been a dogmatic coach. And if you look at, you know, the, the issues that Gwen has and you look at her mechanics, et cetera, et cetera, and the feedback is always, I have less discomfort when I run on the asphalt. And, you know, then, then you go with that. Then I say, okay, well, let's go asphalt and just not concrete, you know. But my general feeling is, is if we're going to do something really, really fast, then I don't mind the asphalt and I, and I don't mind the track, right? But if we're going to do something intermediate and, you know, up in Boulder with the altitude, even though it's intermediate altitude, to develop leg speed, sometimes it's a good idea if you're not going to use supplemental oxygen to do downhill work, which Gwen hated, but it served her really well. And so we would try and find a surface and I'd literally be on the bike and I say, okay, this surface for the next 200 meters is fine. And then I'm screaming at, at Gwen to just come a little bit more to the center because it's starting to get bumpy on the outside because when it gets uneven is when, when she has discomfort. And so, you know, I'm not torn about it, and I understand why it works for her on the asphalt. You know, I worry a little bit about camber and stuff like that, but we there there are dirt routes that that serve her well, especially at the intermediate paces. So, Bobby, you mentioned mechanics. Um, you know, Gwen obviously a very fast runner. Does she need to work on mechanics, or is that a daily, weekly? If she does, how do you even work that into? Um, you know, an elite athlete like, like Gwen in terms of working on her form and mechanics? Yeah, very interesting. Um, so Gwen and I have been working on her mechanics much, much longer than I've been coaching Gwen as her primary coach. You know, I've always been privileged uh, when Gwen had her triathlon coaches and her primary triathlon coach, and then when she had a primary distance running coach, that they all felt comfortable that I would be involved with, with Gwen's mechanics. And, and I'm always looking for a way to add some mechanical efficiency. And it's not like a skills thing. So with Gwen, I'm not trying to make these rote changes. Yeah. I'm letting her know what I'm noticing. And then I'm letting her know why, if we could address that, would, would, uh, we could get a, a little bit better function and we would get a little bit more durability and we would get some more duration. We could get some more consistency and even get some more speed. All Do you right? overemphasize so, any, any, anything in particular? Anything in particular? Yeah, so that's why I was so excited when, when, before, we, when we, before we started the interview, I was telling you about that 
connection between what the body is capable of doing in terms of movement and range of motion and what the mechanics coach is looking for it to do. And there's that, there's the balance, there's the range of motion, and there's the skills component, right? Which is sounds funny with running because in running you don't say, okay, I'm going to teach you how to run today, right? But all of the dynamic mobility drills and the run drills are diagnostic as well. And then you notice anomalies and you address those anomalies specifically. So one of Gwen's anomalies is, is that one of her arms, her left arm, she ends up swinging her arm backwards and her hand goes outside of her elbow if you were viewing her from the front. All right. And so that causes her to come upright a little bit. And it also causes a little bit of a shortness of that stride length. And so you go, why is Gwen doing that? And we know she's, she, you know, she gets nice and tight in the thoracic spine. And as a result, she's habituated this little arm swing that pulls her offline and pulls her upright. And so those are easy things to do in combination with the strength coach and specific drills. That's one example. The other example is, is Gwen has this condition in her heels you know, that we don't want to put a lot of torque on, on her soleus and on her Achilles tendon, right? So we work to make sure things are linear there and that there's not too much twisting. But you also need a certain amount, for example, of pronation. So one of the things we were playing with recently was we felt in certain shoes she was pronating too much, but in other shoes they were overcorrecting and they weren't giving us enough. <laughs> and so you go you know, you, you, in the strength and conditioning component, you address that instability in the ankle, but in the footwear drills component, you trying to get, get that happy medium. It's, it's, it's really, really fun, especially when the athlete starts to buy in and plays along. So when Gwen looks at a video of herself and she says, wow, that looks good now. And I get that she's now got the distinction. That's really, really exciting, you know? Yeah. And so when we contacted physical therapists and, and her, her previous teams, and we showed them the video, they said, wow, you really cleaned that up. That looks fantastic. And that's very, very gratifying, you know, when that happens. Gwen, do you have self-talk? You know, what do you say to yourself in terms of like, when you think form, you know, what type of things are you thinking of, you know, internally? To, to yeah, with form, I think Bobby can attest to this, but I have like no shame. So I, like when I do something poorly, I'm fine with it. And I'm like, okay, well, teach me how to do it better. And I think one of the biggest things for me, you know, Bobby kind of mentioned it, but with my arm, like it started in, from like a tight T-spine and my T-spine is still habitually tight. But even when my T-spine gives me rotation, I still have the arm swing because it's a habit. And so, you know, there, there was a big breakthrough for me, you know, when when Bobby was showing me like, no, you can get in the range. It's just that now you've habituated this. And so you don't because it's a habit. And so it's fun to learn things like that. And something that I've really just enjoyed working with Bobby is it's just fun. Cause I feel like I'm learning something every day and I feel like I'm so green in this sport still. And there's so much knowledge still that I can absorb. And that's something that's really exciting for me. And like Bobby said as well, we sent a video to some of my um, old PTs in Portland and, and people that looked after me and they're like, what are you doing? You look amazing. And so it is, it's really gratifying when you, you work on these little things every day and you don't necessarily see the changes, but then you see this big change all of a sudden. And it's just really, um, it shows you that, you know, the little things in the me mechanics do pay off. Yeah. So 
Bobby, I'm certainly no good runner, but I dabble in running. I'm more of a cyclist. So, you know, what, what are the typical things that you see within the amateur ranks or, or age groupers, you know, what are the kind of two or three biggest tips that you find yourself always kind of dishing out? Yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't really call them tips. I would call them major points. Okay. And I just to the previous point, I just wanted to go through one of the big rocks in the box that makes Gwen a champion her whole life is exactly what she spoke about. She doesn't get caught in front of, She doesn't get frustrated. She sees everything as an opportunity and she really wants to get in there. She wants to get in there almost more than the coaches and the support team. So no, no, I want to master that. What, what's going on here? You know? Yeah, anyway, you I just want to mention You talk that. a lot about vulnerability, you know, vulnerability yep. almost equaling opportunity, right? And allowing yep. yourself to be vulnerable, which is you're just mentioning, she she can be fine with that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And 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 you know, the mental skills that that Gwen and I have been working on recently is for her to be more forgiving of herself. You know, that she yeah. doesn't get frustrated when she cannot do things. She doesn't quit. But she also has the distinction that so many athletes have that it's either bad and wrong or it's good and right. And just to take out the the wrong and the right and just say that's that's correct and that's incorrect and it's fine, you know. Right, you're giving so, it meaning. You might be giving it more meaning than it's worth worthy. Exactly of. right. Exactly right. You know. And uh, and so you know back, that so back to me being a horrible runner. You know what should I, what what are the what are the rocks I should think about. That's exactly the word she uses. She'll do something and she'll say, that was horrible. And I'm going, no, it was just less effective than it has been or, or that it can be. <laughs> anyway, so to get back to, to you know, the, the big points with mechanics, um, I think I came up with a thing years ago called the three C's, right, which is compact, connected, and cadence, right? And and the compact thing is is that, Many average runners have, they, they try and get too much out of their gait and then they end up slamming on the brakes with every foot strike, all right? And, you know, they, they overwork areas instead of settling into what their engine is producing and, and matching that up perfectly. And then the cadence thing is, generally speaking, although cadence is attached to pace, and when you go fast, your cadence is higher. When you go slow, your cadence is lower. But generally, you'll get people who are, come from a background of rewarding effort. Like it's like in golf, right? The harder you try, the worse you are. And, and that happens very much in running. You know, people try and muscle the run. They think it's about pushing themselves forward. They think it's about bearing down and that kind of thing. And it's not. It's about trying to find that sweet spot of elastic return, you know. And then the connected one comes up all the time, especially in that in that triathlon community where the athlete loses the chest. The chest goes up, the center of mass goes back, they get, you know, they get all rigged up in their low back, and then they lose the cadence, they lose the momentum, and they lose that 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 dynamic balance. You know, they go into a more static plane and they can't move forward. And that's a really subtle process. And you know, Gwen can speak to that. That whole concept of getting your ribcage to internally rotate, still staying tall, but being rigid in a slightly forward posture. And we work on that with Gwen every single day. 
is that the falling forward kind of concept that you Gwen, do you yeah, but everything that? that goes with that, right? Yeah. So the falling forward, but not leaving the legs behind. You know, there's there's that whole setting of the knees in an appropriate angle so that you, when you fall forward, you're not bringing the foot in from the back. You're bringing the foot down from the from the front. You know, you, you, yeah. you've got that gathering motion going on instead of slamming on the brakes. Because a lot of people then they hear lean's great and then they go impossible. You know, they lean far too much and become incredibly uneconomical and they slamming on the brakes with every time they bring the foot into the ground. So how does this compare to swim uh, form work, Gwen? <laughs> um, it's so different because I, I think in in swimming, it's so technique-based. And in running, I feel like it's more these, you know, Bobby touched on this, like you don't teach somebody how to run. It's more these broad concepts and, um, you know, more learning how to kind of you know, what should my posture be is more what it's about versus, you know, like Bobby said, like, if you think about running too much, it, it almost hurts you. So, um, yeah, swimming technique, I feel like you can do drills and drills and drills and drills. Um, and in running, you know, we do drills a couple times a week, but it's mostly about, you know, those drills are kind of what set your body up so that you're ready to run. Yeah. And Bobby, for, for more age groupers, you know, do you see times when an athlete should just stop the workout because the fatigue is built up too much? They're doing bad, you know, form is way off or, you know, are there, are there tips whereby you'll say, okay, I want you to do this until you can't perform some, some certain aspect of the form, you know, it's just, it's not worth going on. Um, you know, can you dig into any of that? Yeah, you, you, you definitely can, right? It's, it's, it's very prevalent in swimming, right? You, you get to a point in swimming, especially for, for, you know, beginner, beginner triathletes that are, you know, adult onset swimmers, you know what I'm saying, where they can work really, really hard, but they're working right out of zone and they're not moving at all, but they're just thrashing away there. With running, it's not quite like that because it's a much more natural movement. But what happens is they start to break. Yeah. And, you know, the, the, the consequence in running of pushing through is structural damage, right? You can get stress fractures and stuff like that. So um, you see this so often illustrated when swimmers come to the sport of triathlon, right? They are instant stress fractures looking for a place to happen just because they have this big motor that they've strapped to a toilet door, right? They just don't have the structural integrity and the, and that sense of running is not this powerful movement. It's getting yourself into the right posture so that when you load that connective tissue, which is goes awry in the pool as well, especially around the ankles, you know, and then they start using this big engine to force themselves and then they just fail in the legs or in the feet. Yeah. You know, so, so, you know, there is a good model for that where you, you know, you run effectively for a short period of time and then you take a little reset, you know, take a little walk break and then, then run again. That works very, very effectively. And then there's also the other concept is, is you run only as long as you're maintaining your form but that requires a great deal of, of proprioceptive awareness, right? Right. Uh, where runners, I always say there's not enough resistance in running because A, we run too slowly and B, we run in a medium that 
is too light for us to get feedback, right? When you go on the bike, you're going fast enough to feel you're not aero, right? You can literally feel, you know, when the wind comes up, boom, you slow down. Or when you're trying to pick up speed and you're using endless watts and you only picked up a half a mile an hour. Yeah. All right. But in running, all you do is you straighten up and you say, I'm tired. You don't realize that you've lost your form. You don't realize that you picked up your shoulders. You don't realize that your head's gone up. You don't realize that you've dropped your hands. You don't realize that you've lost your rhythm and your cadence is gone. You know, you just slog on until, you know, until the workout becomes ineffectual. Yeah, I, I, I kind of, I, I did a funny week a couple weeks ago where I wanted to ramp up my running. And so I did 50 one mile repeats. So each day I did seven miles, but I yep. did a one minute walk after every yep. single mile. So for that oh, entire week, I, see what you're saying. I did 50, like 830 pace miles followed by a one minute walk just to gather myself, bring the heart rate back down. And I did that the entire week, seven miles a day for seven days. And, um, I just like, I don't know. I went into that week saying, I got to keep my form, you know, I don't want to but I want to hit 50 miles, you know? So yeah. Was... Now do that for the next six weeks. Then okay. you'll see magic start to happen. Right. All right. Cause Gwen and I both heard, I did 50 by one mile with a minute yeah. walk and we went, that is impressive. Yeah. <laughs> it took me a week. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. That's fine. <laughs> uh, no. And, awesome. and you'd be surprised, right? So that felt good. You recovered from that. You felt you were mastering 830 pace. And now you go next week, oh, now I'm just going to run seven, seven miles at a time without that walk break. And then suddenly you're just going to get stuck again. Persist with that. Yeah. You know, take those, those, you know, one mile on one minute walk. And over time you'll see those one mile ons come up Yeah. and then you can go, all right, now I'm going to try a five miler and see how it goes. And you can, you will see that you're doing plenty of development work that way that you're improving your continuous running and that you might ultimately, if you do compete with that run, probably find once you're going more than 45 minutes to an hour, you'll probably find you're going to go faster. And I see this all the time, right? I see this every 12 weeks from individuals that I work with, right? That running an hour continuously, they get further if they run like nine, one for an hour, they get more distance. And that's, yeah. that's the critical piece, right? You're trying to get from point A to point B as fast as possible. Nobody's asking you how much of that time you spent walking. Yeah. <laughs> exactly sounds like my iron man <laughs> exactly right exactly right well thanks so much and gwen hopefully you are on the backside of this covid and the whole family is getting better i hope there's not a new symptom yes. every single day i don't want to hear that but uh well, the symptoms yeah, are yeah we're getting much better yes and i Super. don't want any sympathy from people we are doing just fine just you know <laughs> well it'll be we just have to you know, take our time. And I think it is a good time to just listen to the body. And as athletes, I feel like we know our bodies and just kind of have to, like we said before, there's not a ton of knowledge out there. So just kind of listen to the body and, and do what it can. Yeah. You just have to sit back and let it dictate every yep. day going forward right now. So you got a good man there helping you out. I got a couple of good men there helping you out and yeah, <laughs> So I appreciate the discussion. Thank you so much. And um, yeah, Bobby, I need to come see you sometime for some form uh, critique. So that would be fun. <laughs> You'd be welcome. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> Thank you guys. Thank you.